And this morning, I have the privilege of continuing a series that we started last week. We are so thrilled. A number of us are going to team teach through this series that we're calling Summer Rules. And again, you can punctuate that however you want. It will probably apply. Uh, we are taking some time to work our way through the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And again, I don't know how you grew up, but my suspicion is whether you grew up in the church or whether you grew up outside of the church, whether you're familiar with the Bible, whether you've never cracked it open, that at some point or another, you've heard at least something about the Ten Commandments. And uh, man, our dream is that by the end of this series, we will not only have heard about the Ten Commandments, but we will love the Ten Commandments. Um... A couple of challenges we've issued as we work our way through these uh, commandments. Uh, The first one was encouraging all of us to consider reading uh, the section of scripture in which the Ten Commandments are found. Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 21. Read that section of scripture at least one time each week. It will just take you a couple of minutes and you will be blown away by what that starts to do over the course of a few weeks. Uh, The second challenge was to consider what it might look like to take the church challenge and memorize the Ten Commandments. And I don't mean in their long form, but just in summary, in short form, so that you're able to recall them and say, commandment number two is about this. Oh, commandment number one is about this. We're in week two, so we're just getting going. We're going to um, kind of ramp up that challenge and maybe give us uh, some helpful ways to to do that. And um, the last challenge through this series is to encourage you to consider taking notes. You may not naturally be a note taker. I'm not naturally a note taker. uh, But as you consider uh, taking notes, that will help you as you look back and we work our way um, through this series. Uh, As was true last week, today is again going to be one of those I feel very like teachery um, as we work our way through this and we're getting acquainted with a culture and a context that was thousands of years removed with the people you know that are, are thousands of miles away from us and so it's going to take us a little bit to try and catch up with some of that so that may feel a little bit teachery to some of you which is not ideal uh, during the summer break but here we go nonetheless so here's the story Uh, God rescued uh, his people, the Israelites, from 400 years of slavery in the nation of Egypt. And uh, God did it in a way that only God can do it. And after he set them free from captivity, God sent them in the direction of a country, a promised land that he was going to give them as theirs, in which they would experience freedom from slavery, no chains, no slave masters. When God sets his people free, in order to keep them experiencing and enjoying the freedom he just delivered to them, God gives them these ten commandments. I don't know what you heard about them. They are not designed as I grew up believing to restrict his people. No, God just unshackled them. He just Shawshanked them from Egypt and set them free. His dream agenda here is not to imprison them and restrict them again. No, these ten commandments exist as ten signposts. They exist as these ten guardrails to help his people stay on the path to freedom. Y'all are free and I want you to enjoy that freedom and if you want to enjoy that freedom, stay on this path. So last week we looked at rule number one, commandment number one, which in short form is just no greater God. You will have no greater God. And here it is in in the the, the shorter description But it is. It's just God says you will have no one and there will be nothing that gets more allegiance, affection, or authority in your life than I do. Rule number one. You will have no greater God. No one and nothing gets more allegiance, affection, or authority in your life than I do. Because I love you. And if you build your life on something as greater than I am, it will not be able to deliver you. It will not be able to deliver to you what you believe it will, and it will take you back into a place of slavery. That is true for all of us, by the way. If we dare to build our lives on something more than we build our lives on God himself, we are going to end up enslaved 
again. This is a beautiful commandment from a God who loves his people to his people in order to help them continue in freedom. Today we're going to look at the second commandment, which is similar to the first, but it um, has a slightly different point of emphasis. All right, if you have a copy of the Bible, Exodus chapter 20, uh, Exodus chapter 20, and we are going to look at verses 4 through 6, commandment number Two. Here we go. You shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to that thing or those things to worship them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me or despise me or disregard me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Freedom rule number two, God says don't create and worship any idols. Don't create and worship any idols. If you want to continue to to fully experience and enjoy the freedom that I have delivered to you, do not create and then worship an idol. More specifically, this is what God is telling them. Do not create anything in the form of a created thing and then treat that created thing as God. Do not create anything in the form of any created thing and then treat that created thing that you just created as though it was God, if you want to live free, don't do it. Do not create a thing and then treat that created thing like it's a creator thing. Don't do it. Why not? Well, God in this passage of scripture gives one very explicit reason. And there's a second reason that's implied in this passage. But it's explicit in the other places where this commandment shows up. Why should we not create something and then worship that something like it's the creator, like it is God? Here's the reason number one. God says, I am a jealous God. God, one of the first attributes that God's people learn about this God they're just being reintroduced to is that he is fiery in his jealousy. He loves his people and is so passionately possessive. He is not open to sharing the greatest affections with anyone else. He's not into that. He's not open to to co-godding with other gods every other weekend with the authority in the world of his people. God is not open to a shared custody situation of his people's allegiance. God does not share well with others. But God is not jealous in the way we are jealous. God is not jealous because uh, he is deeply insecure and he's very easily uh, threatened and he has a really fragile ego. And he's just concerned that he's going to lose all of his stuff to something more compelling or more appealing. No. God is not jealous of anything. God is jealous for things. 
And in this particular case, God is jealous for his people. Listen, y'all, if you treat something that you created that is not a God like it actually is a God and you put the weight of your life on that thing, your whole world and every direction you take will be built on something fake that cannot hold you up. And that is not going to affect just you. That is going to affect the generations that come after you. If you build on a fake foundation and you pass that along to the next generation and the next generation. This is not just going to be a sin against me because I've commanded you as God, but this is going to be a sabotage against your own freedom and against your own joy. And I am so passionately possessive and I'm so fiery in my jealousy for your good. And that will not be good for any of you. But more than that, God is jealous for his glory. Make no mistake about that. He will not share his glory with anything else, let alone something we created. Because for us to worship a God we created is to give that thing credit and to give that thing glory. And God is jealous, not because he's insecure, not because he feels personally threatened by a created fake God, but because there actually is no other God. There is no other creator. There is no other deliverer for his people. So for God's people to make something and then give that something credit for what God has done and for what's only true about God. God is like, I don't share credit for what only I did. I don't share glory for what is only true about me. If God is creator and God is deliverer, then you can understand why God says, I'm not okay with you crediting something else for what is true about me. Something that only I deserve. This is powerful. God is not just jealous. God is just jealous. His jealousy is just. It is right. If someone writes my name on your paycheck. If someone writes my name on both of your paychecks in a given month. If somebody writes my name on both of your paychecks on a, in a given month. And we're talking about end of the year bonus season. We're talking like... Triple overtime and a half on the factory floor. And at the end of this, your check comes to me with my name on it for the work that you did. I'm just asking you, how might you feel about this? Let's assume you approached me and you let me know about this mistaken identity situation. Hey man, just need to let you know, uh, that's my check. I earned it. And I say to you, oh, someone's got a fragile widow ego. You are easily threatened. Easily bruised. You're just jealous. <laughs> you would lose your mind a little bit. Like, no, I'm not just jealous. I'm just jealous because I did the work and I deserve this. And let's assume on top of all of this, I even got some sweet notes from your employers talking about condo. We just want to commend you for the intensity and, 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 and just the consistency of your hard work on the factory floor. I'm like, look at me. Do I look like I've set foot on a factory floor? Don't answer that question. Just consider it. 
you know, Condo, your work was borderline genius in our merger and acquisition. And as a result, we think you deserve this high percentage of the profits. And I tell you, you're just jealous. You would lose your mind. And rightly, rightly so. That's not being just jealous. That's a just jealousy for something you deserve. And if your company is made aware of this mistaken identity and this misdirected credit and they don't do anything about this, I'm just asking you, how long do you think that company would survive? Before the employees start to lose morale and he starts to live in anxiety, like if it happened to you, it might happen to me. Is my work safe? Am I going to get what I deserve? That company would go under. And whatever the owner of the company was hoping to take and pass on to the next generation would just fizzle away. This is what God is saying. Do not make something and then put its name on my check. Let's take this a step further. Let's assume I came to the hospital to visit your Nana um, right before her triple bypass life-saving heart surgery. And the minute I walk onto the floor, the ward, open the door, every medical professional in that place loses their minds. They start cheering. Hey, next thing I know, I'm getting scrubbed in to the OR. Moments later, I'm holding a scalpel. <laughs> Woo! And you happen to be sitting in the gallery because they let you watch this. And you're next to the surgeon who is the expert who's supposed to be performing this surgery. What might you say? I'm just asking. Because now, it's not just a mistaken identity. They're not just giving me something I don't deserve. Now they're expecting me to deliver something I cannot. With a life at stake. I'm curious, what would you say? You would look at that surgeon and you'd be, what are you doing up here? You get down there. And the surgeon's like, I'm sorry. I don't want to seem like one of those people with a fragile ego. So um, I'm just going to stay right up here. You took an oath. Get down there would be the feeling. And if the hospital continued to make mistaken identities and put these kinds of expectations on people because as far as they're concerned, like, well, all doctors look the same to us. You would not be sitting up there saying, well, pastor, doctor, doctor, pastor. Doesn't make a difference. That hospital wouldn't just lose employees. They would lose life after life after life, which I don't need to tell you would affect the next generation and the next generation and the generation after that. It's no surprise that God says, listen, if you mistake identity and you miscredit and you end up depending on a fake God, it is going to affect generation after generation after generation after generation. And if it matters that much for a life-saving surgery of the heart, in an OR, I'm just asking you, how significant do you think a mistaken identity on the throne that runs the universe is? God is jealous for his people. This cannot hold you up. It cannot do what you expect it to do. And God is jealous for his glory. Don't you dare put that thing's name on a check that I Deserve. It's not because I'm fragile. It's because I'm God. And that thing is absolutely not. What God is saying, when we just pause for a moment and process it, is the most beautiful and it's the most sensible thing that there is. I'm not just jealous, I am justly jealous. God is a jealous God. The other reason, God would say, do not make some fake God and then worship it like it is creator, is implicit 
is because um, idols are ridiculous. God is jealous, yes, but <laughs> idols are ridiculous. I mean, can we just not check our minds at the church door and, and just state the obvious here? To take time to create something or to take something created and then treat that created thing like it created you. That is a classic case of dumb dumbery. It's ridiculous to physically construct something. Make something. And then leave the room. Have a little bit of a dory moment. Come back in with voluntary amnesia. Talking about, oh, a God that created me. And then bow to it. I'm just telling you what the passage of scripture is saying. It is absolutely ridiculous. It's absurd. And I am going to spend a little bit of time exhausting the absurdity of this. Just so we can all agree how absurd this is. To treat something you made like it made you. And then you start to worship a created thing is crazy. It's ridiculous. Now, it is cute if my 8 and 10 year olds do it with Legos, right? Where they take their Legos and they make their make believe world with Legos and they make their Lego Barbie and Ken family and, and um, they live in a make believe cul de sac with, you know, make believe parents who have no rules, you know. Um, like to me, I'm like, oh man, make your Lego verse. It's cute. Now, if my 19 year old sophomore in college, if he did the same thing, like make believe world and is talking to these things, I don't judge because I'm a cool parent, but I might have some questions. Now, Okay, but if I woke up at 4 a.m. in the morning to the sound of sirens in my driveway and to the sight of flashing lights from emergency vehicles, and I walk out the door, and I find my 19-year-old son running towards the emergency vehicles because he's the one who called 911 to get them to come over, and he's explaining to them that he found um, one of his sister's Lego Barbies that had fallen down the stairs and apparently broke a limb and was unresponsive. And he is yelling, help! Help! Okay. I'm just being honest. I would judge. I would, I would judge his mother. I would judge his mother because... <laughs> because <laughs> I can't judge myself. It's too close to Father's Day. But I'd be like... What kind of permissive parenting results in this kind of dumb dumbery? Now let's take it a step further because again we came to church to talk about absurdity. And now the, the, the crew chief of the EMS or whatever, he hears this and he runs to the ambulance and he grabs a defibrillator and he starts charging into our house screaming, Barbie, we're coming. You're going to be fine, Lego Barbie. You're going to be fine. At this point, now I'm questioning everything I know about reality. What kind of a like Lego movie metaverse am I living in at this point? I wouldn't even know where to start having this conversation. That is so absurd. In fact, if my eight-year-old was sitting in the service, she would understand how absurd that was. And if she didn't, I would help her. <laughs> if she started talking about like, no, these Legos are real. In fact, Ken's... My dad, you're not my dad. <laughs> you know, I, I would fix that really quick. Well, when uh, it comes time for uh, Ken Dad over here to make you lunch, <laughs> make sure he only uses stuff he paid for. Okay? She would throw that Ken in the trash real fast. Right, But this is so absurd, it's so ridiculous, and I want us to feel the absurdity of it so that we feel the absurdity of it when we do it. 
Because idols are ridiculous. God is saying, don't treat the Legos you've made like they made you. And then you offer your life to these Lego gods. Idolatry is so ridiculous, it almost makes you wonder why God would even bring this up as a command. Why would he even bring this up with the Israelites? They are like two months out of freedom. They just saw him part the Red Sea. The mountain is still shaking under the weight of his glory. Why would you even command these people not to make little Lego gods and worship them? We came to church to hear this. That sounds a little bit God like you're taking things too far. Exodus chapter 32 verse 1. Moses is on the mountain and he's talking to God. He hasn't yet brought the commandments down to them. When the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And Aaron said to them, bet. Take off gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their Lego earrings and they brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him and he made an idol in the shape of a cow, a calf, fashioning it with a tool while they watched him do this. Then Dories said... These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the cow, the calf, and announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. This is now the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to party, to eat and drink, and got up to indulge in revelry. True story. (laughs) Oh, man. It's funny when it's Legos. While God is giving Moses the command not to create any idols out of things in the world. The people at the bottom of the mountain are doing that very ridiculous thing. How dumb is this? There is literally smoke on the mountain. And they decide to make a golden cow. And then what do they do? They credit the golden cow for taking them and delivering them from Egypt. And then they depend on the golden calf to lead them to freedom where they need to go. And all of them are like, that's a great idea. Wow. Who who in their right mind does this? Worships a cow that they watched Aaron make. I don't think it's awesome to judge people, but I'm hardcore judging this level of dumb dumbery right here. <laughs> who does this? Except are people who for 400 years have been captive in Egypt. And for every single person at the bottom of this mountain, all that they have ever known, generation after generation after generation leading up to them, is the way of Egypt. And Egypt was a polytheistic culture. They worshipped many gods. And, and each of those gods was fashioned into a physical figure that represented it. Because if you were not a physical image, were you even a real god? God knew the moment he set them free, they're going to want to go back to what they had known. And what they had known was a God that their minds could imagine. A God that could fit a picture they could see. And a God fashioned into an object they could handle. 
The only gods they had ever known were gods that had dimensions and you could see them and you could feel them. Therefore, you could picture them and that would bring them some level of comfort. A God that was manageable. A God that you could explain and the symbolism could be described to your kids and to the people around you. God knew that they would want Lego Gods, gods like Hathor. Who's Hathor? Great question. Hathor um, was the goddess thought to be the all-seeing eye, responsible for guiding and protecting people. Hathor. Oh. And uh, Hathor took the form of a, any guesses? A cow. So they said, Moses is taking too long. We need to know who's the God who delivered us. And I don't know is not an okay answer for us. We need something that we can... We can give the check of glory to. Right? We need something that we can believe is now going to guide and lead us. Who better than Hathor, the all-seeing eye, the deliverer who's going to lead us into new places. Oh, and Hathor was also the goddess of party and pleasure. So it's no entire surprise that they got up the next morning and then they got down. And they said, this is now your God. And you can imagine what God is doing up on the mountain. Oh no, you're just jealous, God. No, I'm justly jealous. She didn't do that. Don't credit her for what I deserve. And don't expect her to do what only I can. Deliver. So the question is, does this command still apply to us today? Because, I mean, if look around, look how fancy everyone is. We have lights, microphones, we have colleges, we're smart. We would never entertain this level of dumb dumbery. Under any circumstances, would we do something so ridiculous? Has to take a, a fake thing and treat it like it's God and it delivered. Can you imagine if we did something like we took, um, say, um, hard work, right? And we made it like a, fashioned it into, into a God. And we started worshiping it with our weeks. And uh, we started saying stuff like, man, the difference between this person who has immense success and that person who not so much as that one works hard. Listen, the secret to success and the reason that I have security and stability in my life, the reason I am where I am is because I've worked hard. And we live in the land of opportunity. Anyone can pull themselves up by the bootstraps and they can live a life of freedom and fullness. You just need to be willing to work hard. God is like, that is dumb dumbery. Do not take something I created, i.e. work, and ascribe to it an ability to deliver you or deliver to you. Like, no, but it's, it's work. Oh wait, so the difference between, <laughs> between you and a person who was born and raised in Haiti <laughs> is hard work. The difference between you and somebody, this is God now, right? The difference between you and somebody who was born with a few more physical challenges is <laughs> hard work. God would say that is a Lego God. At the end of the day, you are breathing my breath and you are using my ability to do anything. And you know as well as I do, in a moment, it could be gone. 
God is, do not write hard work's name on my check. Because that would be dumb dumbery. Who would do that? Can you imagine like if somebody made something like, like, <laughs> like porn into a God of some sort? I mean, that would be ridiculous. And they started crediting it for delivering them from stress and loneliness. I mean, you know this is made, right? I mean, you, you know that. I know it's made. And yet you bow down to it still. Now, you may not call it God, but you worship it and depend on it. And it gets, it's the thing. You know what got me through? I never say this out loud, but you know what actually got me through? And our whole culture thinks that the sexualization of the culture, it's fine. And because we've all joined together in the revelry of acceptable idolatry. Can you imagine if we made beauty or buffness a God? I mean, I mean we're too advanced for that. But I'm just saying, imagine a culture did something like that. What I'm depending on to deliver love to me is my appearance. My grandma did it. Grandpa did it. And now the amount of pressure I'm putting on my kids and that they'll put on their kids for generations and generations. Because if you aren't physically noticed, can you even be loved? That's a mistaken identity about where love comes from. It comes from chiseling and creating yourself to look a certain way. And if you can do that, it will deliver you opportunities and love and it will carry you into. No, it's not that. It's, it's being good, being a good person. That's the stuff I use. I don't do all the bad things that all the bad people do. I'm a good person, which explains why I'm in a good place. It's not hard work. It's good works. And um, it also explains why God would be crazy not to take me to heaven because uh, really I saved myself. And God is like, really? So your behavior, that's the thing. It's a Lego God. And here's the the beauty of Lego gods. Uh, the funny thing about Lego gods is they're all dumb sirens in someone else's driveway. Like every Lego god is just a dumb golden Lego cow. Unless it's yours. No, your Lego god is brilliantly thought through. Just like the Israelites was. If you understand them, you understand why they made what they made. And if we understand you, we'll understand why you make whatever gods that you make. Out of your career, out of your family, out of your car, out of your stuff. And God is like, you are taking something in the created world and you are crediting it for delivering something to you that I did. And you are crediting it for delivering freedom to you in the future and only I can. That is idolatry. Don't do it. But the thing that struck me most uh, about this was how much we do this mentally in the church. Um, this happens whenever we put on God or say about God something he has not revealed about himself. That is one of the most common forms of idolatry, breaking the second commandment, I think, in our world. Listen to me. If you think or say or picture or believe something about God that he has not revealed about himself. You are breaking the second commandment because you are going to make a God out of a created thing in the image of your own 
making. And I'm just telling you, in our culture, this is such a great danger because we are super obsessed with certainty. Big danger for us. We are so obsessed with certainty. And we love extremes and categories, right? Something either has to be this or it has to be that. Someone has to belong in this category or they have to belong in that category. This is either um or it's mm. What we don't love is that messy, uncomfortable, gray in between of, I don't know. And that serves as a danger to us when it comes to the second commandment. And we start to get super, you know, creative and, and, you know, eloquent and articulate about God. Can God create a rock so big, so heavy that even he can't carry it? And then you have all of these seminars trying to discuss this. Like, well, you know, uh, based on the trajectories of the theological, like, no, man, Uh, God's not said much about that. So maybe... Just, we can't be certain about that. Is God on this side or is God on that side? And you know what? We love to make sure we know. And we are certain about it. Well, what happens to the soul of a baby if, like, oh, well, what we believe happens is, I don't know. I don't know is not a good enough answer. I'm sorry, because somebody's going to be going through a difficult time and you want to offer them certainty about God. And so we feel these needs to make declarations about God that speak with a level of certainty. And I'm just telling you, if we paint a certain picture that God has not painted of himself with certainty, with our images, with our minds, we are legoing God. And by the way, when your friend finds out that what you gave them as a certainty about God in a season to comfort them was not true, it will affect generation after generation after generation. When it comes to living out the second commandment, I was just thinking about this in the church. One of the most beautiful ways that we can do that is to learn to say about God, I don't know. I'm not sure. Please memorize that phrase. I don't know. If he has not said it about himself, you don't know. Don't you dare start to try and picture him or believe things about him. Just, I don't know. Because if you refuse to not know, you are going to clasp for certainty. And when you do, you are going to need to paint a picture about God that he has not painted about himself. And you're going to take created imagery and you're going to ascribe it to him. And God will say, don't you do that to me. It makes me less than I am. Which is what this commandment is all about. Don't do it. Well, what does God look like? I don't know. His spirit. That's not good enough. Because I need to be able to picture something when I close my eyes and worship on the throne. Don't you do it. You would take created imagery and you assign it to God and you reduce him to less than the kind of God he is who can deliver you and deliver freedom to you. Don't even do it in your mind. You will make less of him and that will become an idol. What does Jesus look like? Well, we know he was a Jew and we know he was unimpressive looking. No, not good enough. We need to picture him. So we're going to draw him in our image and we're going to make figurines because how else can we have rosaries and how else can we down before we know it, we're bowing down to a figure that we've created and a picture in a book that we saw growing up. And if you're like me, I am generations and generations and generations down from a movement of African people who grew up believing Jesus had blonde hair and blue eyes. Because we have to picture him. By the way, and then something tragic is going to happen in the world. And you know what the church would say? That wasn't Jesus. Why not? Because my picture of blonde haired blue eyed Jesus, he would never. Oh. 
And that's what starts to happen. Don't you dare reduce me to your picture of me. If I've not said it about myself, you are going to make me less than I am. Which is one of the reasons, yo, we have to know the Bible. We have to get everything we know about who God is from the Bible. I'm telling you, we are obsessed with needing to picture something. And while we laugh about someone making a golden calf, we are always trying to make an image of God with our certainty. He is definitely this, and he is definitely that. And if somebody says, and then it just messes up our picture. And we refuse, by the way, if somebody has a different perspective than ours, we cannot possibly believe that because we've already made God and he has boundaries and image, and he cannot be anything other than. This is one of the dangers in the church. God knows we love to have certainty and pictures of him that we've created with all of the stuff that we've gathered in creation. A couple of recommendations. Number one, I would say ask, ask. And we're going to say this every week, ask. What have I wrongly credited with my ultimate joy or protection? God revealed to me the places I've mistaken identity and I've miscredited and I've depended on other things. God, please reveal to me the pictures that I've created of you in my heart and in my mind that are not you. His spirit is gracious to reveal. Second thing I'll say, confess. If you know it, I have mistakenly Credited my life and my security and my success to things that couldn't have possibly done that. And things that could not have happened if you hadn't done something before that. I need to come back and write worship checks with your name on them. Confess. Confess, I am prone to make lesser things into God's. Confess that to him. Confess, I have held a picture of you in my mind that you have not revealed about yourself. Confess that. And then repent. And repenting is action. I will not picture. And when I find myself trying to picture in my mind, I will say, please, please, please help me to only see you as you reveal yourself. Repent and tell him, I will get to know your word. Because so much of my beliefs about you, somebody else told me this and somebody else said this about you. And you know what I feel in my heart? Doesn't matter what you feel in your heart about God. It matters what he said in his word about himself. And then the last thing I would say, we're going to share in communion here together as we close. But man, I just want to say Jesus. I just want to say Jesus. I want to say Jesus, not children book Jesus. I mean Bible Jesus because, come on somebody, Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Jesus the son, he, he, and he alone is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Jesus, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, Jesus. All things have been created through him and for him, Jesus. Jesus is what God wants us to think when we think about him. God is saying, don't you dare create another image of me in the world. I already have one. And his name is Jesus. The invisible God made visible in human flesh. Jesus, the one who worked quadruple overtime on the factory floor of the cross so that our sin debt might be paid. Jesus. Jesus, the only one who can perform life eternally altering heart surgery, scalpeling out your heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh. And he's not sitting up in the gallery just watching. Jesus, don't you dare make another image of God. He already has one and his name is. Jesus, when I'm tempted to picture, bring me back to what you've revealed about Jesus. How cool is it that we get to share in communion 
together to remember Jesus, the work that Jesus has done in the world to change our hearts, to forgive our sins, to deliver what only he can deliver and promise to lead in the way that only he can lead. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's said to us that we ought to regularly remember who he is. And communion is a way that we get to declare Jesus. You are Savior, Jesus. You are Deliverer, Jesus. You are Defender, Jesus. You are our guide by your Holy Spirit, Jesus. And as we take this wafer together, it's just a representation of the body of Jesus, the work that was done. You want to talk about hard work, Jesus, like I did that. And this represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. And then we'll take, drink this juice, which represents the blood of Christ, which forgave and transformed us. And this is just a physical way for us to remember Jesus, not because we came up with it, but because God said, here's it. You want a physical thing? Y'all need something physical? Behold communion. Not to be worshipped, but to remind us of Jesus who is to be worshipped. So let this remind us of Jesus. Let this bring us back to him. So we're going to take this um, very tasty wafer together. It's, it's delicious. Prepare yourself. And by the way, if anyone wants the recipe, just to email Kyle at missionpoint.net. <laughs> it's a great hors d'oeuvre. But um, it represents something so powerful. So as we take it together, come on, let's make the declaration. Your body was broken for us. Let's say that. Your body was broken for us. Let's eat. Thank you, Jesus. As we take the cup together, let's declare, Jesus, your blood was shed for us. Your blood was shed for us. Let's drink. Jesus, we remember you and we acknowledge that you are the image of the invisible God. Please stir our hearts of any idols we've created and help us to let go of Lego gods. Help us to let go of our picture of who you are and let your word reveal you to us. And let us respond to what you reveal. You are who you say you are. And you have the freedom and the right to reveal new aspects to you that we just never even could have considered for eternity on. So even now, we just say thank you for inviting us into freedom and showing us the path. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.